reaching my altar. I'm reaching my altar. I'm reaching my altar. Got coins in the counter. Don't you fuck with my energy. 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 Cast the spells with my cousins. I'm the head of this coven. I'm a shape-shifting bitch. You don't know who you love it. Better light you a candle. I heard the night time was black. And if you don't watch your step, the greatest bitch will be back. I cast a circle in white. And I can vanquish your fight. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of The Lit Review, a literary podcast for the movement. My name is Monica Trinidad, and I'm here with Paige May and a very special guest today. Before we introduce our very special guest, I just want to say, hey, Paige, how are you doing? Hi, Monica. I'm good. I haven't seen you in like two weeks. I know. We haven't seen each other. (laughs) I am so offended. You have done like two episodes without me. I know. I know. I know, but I'm really appreciative of you too. Listen to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and it was Asada. the last one was with Asada's daughters, teens yeah. on Asada, yeah. which everyone should listen to. And the uh, one before that was, who oh, was it was, um, it was the, it was so good. It was called the the sympathizer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. with with um Von. Yeah, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was amazing. Was yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually here today with a little live audience. Um, it's really awesome. It's really hot in here because everybody is just so hot. Everybody say hey. 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 Um, so we're here. <laughs> we're here with um, some former Lit Review guests. Um, we're also here with just like friends and community. Um, we're all stuffed in my little second floor apartment in Rogers Park. Um, and it's really hot. Um, but there's plenty of alcohol and there's like already three empty bottles on our table. So cheers <laughs> to that. Um, before we get started, I want to give a shout out to the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership for being our sponsor, our one and only sponsor at the moment. We actually have another one that's a possibility. It's yeah, true. it's true. There maybe a third if you become a sponsor, whoever's listening. Oh, <laughs> all right, all right. That was a, that was a call, yeah. a call to action. Um, I also want to thank the amazing Sarah Lou for doing our sound today. Sarah, whoop, whoop. Sarah's amazing. Um, <laughs> The end, period. Mic drop. It's over. The episode's over. Um, so, <laughs> so back to our special guests. Today we are here with the amazing Adrian Marie Brown. What's really happening? <laughs> I'm so excited. So Adrian, can you tell us who you are, what do you do, and why? Lord of mercy. Um <laughs> I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, and I am, let's see, who am I? Um, <laughs> well, okay, so the technical information is I am the co-editor of an anthology um, called Octavia's Brood that is science fiction from social justice movements. I am the author of a book called Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. I am a facilitator of social justice movements, um, the main ones that I've been working with this past year are organizations dedicated to black liberation, including the Movement for Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, BYP 100, um, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity. I am a teacher for generative somatics. I'm a pleasure activist. I'm a doula. I'm a healer. I'm an auntie. Um, what do I, those are all the things I do. <laughs> I guess that's not really who I am, though. Who I am is like, um, a mixed race kid, a military brat who grew up moving all the time, went to school in New York, um, 
fell in love with justice at an early age and have been pursuing it, uh, like sort of a, oh, this could happen in my lifetime, or maybe not. Oh, but I still think it can. Like, I, I'm always in this dance with it um, and with liberation and transformation. And um, I'm just one of those human beings, I think, who that, that's what's of interest to me, and that's what I want to spend my life focused on. Um, I'm really into pleasure. I'm really into love. And I'm a writer. I, I think when all else falls away, writing is the thing that feels the most like, oh, that's who I am. Like, I know how to um, compost the world through words. Like, I, I feel like I take everything in and I'm like, um, oh, here's something that um, will help me move forward. And then I share those things. And sometimes it helps other people move forward. Um, and why? Um, <clears throat> Mm. I really do feel, I mean, it's so interesting to say this to like looking at people ever, but I really do feel like I'm a miraculous being mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm really lucky to have tapped in and to know that that's true and that no one can ever deny any aspect of like that full human unicorn magical creation. And I believe that everyone else I meet is also that. Um, so the why is really like, I feel like I'm constantly writing like love poems to humanity and love poems to the earth and, um, just trying to awaken in people that sense of like, oh, we're not just cogs in a wheel. We're not just like parts of some oppressive system. We're not just victims of someone else's imagination that we're evil. We're not just anything that anyone else puts on us. Like what we are is miraculous beings capable of, of love. So, mm. Yeah. So today we're we're revisiting actually um, a book that we are a couple books that we have talked about, but that are worthy of coming back to. Um, and yeah. So for folks that are not familiar, um, we are going to be talking about the Earth Seed series by Octavia Butler. <laughs> and everybody goes wild. Yeah. Um, so okay, Monica, have you read these books? I have not. I'm so um, jealous of you yes, that you haven't. That read makes them. me feel better. I always um, tell people when they haven't excited. read them, I'm just like, you get yes. to read them the first time. Yes. I know. Yeah. I've read. I've read. Uh, what would we say? Kindred. I've read we Kindred. Said, yeah, you read I read Kindred, Kindred and it was mm -hmm. a book I couldn't put down. Yes. Um, it was incredible. Um, and Paige, what about you? Well, yeah, Kindred was my first Octavia Butler book, and it's an interesting one to start with because yes. it's it's unusual. It's it's, it's sort of different. it's more historical fiction yeah. uh, with like a element of you know time travel. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And then um, this series though is actually I had read the Parable of the is it Sower or Sour? I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I always say sower. I say sower. We all okay. say sower. Yeah. Okay. So I think sower. sow is like a pig. A pig, right. Yeah. Exactly. I think so. Like, you sow your seeds. Okay, that's, I feel validated right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I read that, and then um, we interviewed Dominique about Parable of the Talents, and I was like, what is she mm. talking about? I don't yeah. remember any of this, and I was like, oh my God, yeah. there's a second book. And if I have to choose uh -huh. a favorite, the second book, I mean, it's very yeah. heavy as we're going to get into. But anyway, so yeah. yes, I've read these two. They are, I think, some of the most important. At a time in my life where I was really, really deep into thinking through what is my theory of change, yeah. like what am I trying to do as an organizer, these books I found a lot of guidance from so I love them and I'm very excited to talk to them uh, talk about them with you, you today talk to them too I will <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm curious what led you to read these books yeah um, I feel like, I mean like if I think about like what really led me to them I think it was seeing books that had a young black woman on the cover that were science fiction books and I was just like okay whatever's happening inside that book is probably for me um, I 
you know, there's the whatever made me read them the first time, which I think it really was that cover. And I think someone recommended it to me. I was very young still, like early college, I think. And the thing I, I think is like what led me to keep reading it, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like I read it the first time and I was wowed and I was blown away and I was devastated and it felt really close and really possible. And then I feel like I kept going back to it because of the earth seed verses themselves, which we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but there was something in it was like, oh, she like channeled something through that feels like it's beyond what any book, you know, it's like we're actually tapping into these books of the living. There's, there's a whole belief system and she's articulated in this very simple, accessible poetry. Um, and I often think of it as like my grandfather always read the Bible, like he kept going back to the Bible and anything you would mention to him, you know, like I'm having a heartache, I'm having a problem. He'd be like, well, you know, there's something in first Corinthians for you. And you know, there's always something like that he yeah. could reference. And for me, parable, of the sower and parable, of the talents filled that space and particularly the earth seed verses where I was like, you know, belief without action or whatever. I would always like go <laughs> reference earth seed verses. And when I was 35 I realized that there were 35 earthseed verses and I did this little like zine that was like reflections on mm -hmm. earthseed so it's just like what's led me to it and kept me coming back is the fact that she puts a whole worldview belief system embedded in this um, I also think what keeps me coming back is that it's happening <laughs> so yeah. that is very compelling to me that this black woman who was not necessarily an organizer who was not necessarily um working in the kind of worlds that I move in, she saw very clearly what was coming based on what was happening in the time of her life. And if she could do that, and I keep, you know, I'm like, I want to read it and learn, like, how do I do that? How do we do that? How do we start to be able to put together our analysis of what's happening here, not just in a reactionary way that says, let's re react to it right now, but how do we put it together in a visionary way that says, oh, I can see what's coming and how we will survive. Mm. Like to me, that's very compelling and I never want to, <laughs> I'm like going to keep reading it mm. over and over. Can you talk a little bit about the moment that you were in when you read these books? Like where yeah. were you at in your life? So I was very like, I was, I was in that moment. Now I think of it as the awakening time. Mm. So I was, um, like I said, a military brat. I grew up, I had an anti-authoritarian thing awaken in me pretty early. Um, I think like in the sixth grade, I wrote like an essay that was like, <laughs> you know, fuck uniforms, you know, in the sixth grade way. Um, and, you know, being in the military, that was a very controversial <laughs> position. But when when I got to college was when I started to really develop an analysis of like, oh, America is up to some, hmm, wow, white people, what have y'all been up to with your entire legacy? And like all these things started kind of coming together in my life, uh, in my analysis of like, what is my responsibility as a human being? And coming across people who had experienced more oppression than me and coming across people who were creating that oppression, I started to have like this analysis of it all. So all that was coming together and I was a student organizer so I was protesting. Um, like when we were on our campus, we kicked Dinesh D'Souza off of our campus. Like, you know, I was like, we were doing stuff that felt really important. Amadou Diallo got killed while I was at Columbia and that was a major like catalyzing moment for me of like, oh, um, and, you know, at that time, Giuliani had these squads of um, undercover um, cops that would, were just coming around and, and brutalizing folks. And I actually got pulled over one night or like stopped one night with my friends when we were walking home drunk. And I remember I was like, 
I'm drunk. Um, and my, I remember my friends, I was the only black person in the group and it was like two Latino, a Latina, Latino folks, and then someone else, but they took off running, <laughs> mm. and, which was smart. Mm-hmm. I probably should have done the same, but I was too drunk to figure that out. And they just like scared the shit out of me. Mm. And so it was just this moment of like, Oh, everything is really close. Like all this stuff that I was, that I grew up thinking like, Oh, that happens further away. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all like closing in on me and the people that I cared about. Um, so that was the moment where Octavia walked into my life, uh, both literally and and liter- liter- uh, literarily. Literarily. Thank you. I was like, Help me find this word. I, I don't up. know if that's the word. It's the it word. is now. We made it. That's how words become words. Someone says them, right? So, um, so she came to visit my campus, and I had read. Um, parable of the sower before she came and then I read parable of the talents after but she came to my campus and I didn't know then like I I look back at that moment I'm like oh if only I had known Mm. that she was gonna shape my entire Mm. life I mean I definitely like she spoke and I was like I can't believe anyone can sound like that her voice her voice really was like drums and ocean and like all these beautiful things um and I went up and I told her, I was just like, you're amazing. It's really amazing to meet you. And she was so friendly. But now I'm like, oh, if I met her, knowing what I know about what she's going to do for my life, I think I would have just like fallen down on the floor and like prostrated myself or like, you know, just been like, I, you are my goddess prophet and I, I love you. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I worry about that. Like I keep hoping that in my lifetime I'm showing enough gratitude for what she offered. Cause I'm like, oh, when I saw her, I didn't know to how much I should offer her the gratitude. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I was. And I was very available, even at a young age, I was very available for a solution orientation. Like I very quickly would get frustrated with this idea that just reacting to what was, was the only option we had. Um, so Octavia appealed to me because she was always like, this is not the only option. These are not even the only problems. Like, if we moved through these problems, there would be other problems, and those might even be more interesting problems. And she also, she gave me this sense of, like, oh, the goal is not to get to a place where there's no problems. That would be so boring. Mm. And that grokked with my idea of, like, I've always had this, like, oh, heaven, you know, when people talk about heaven, it kind of bores me, like, um, sitting on a cloud and playing a lute forever. You know, I'm just like, ugh, um, <laughs> where's the fun in that? So, um, but most ideas of utopia kind of bore me because they take away the tension and I'm like the tension is where all the erotic fun lit life energy is so I feel like Octavia was like felt the same way and mm. her books show that she never presents utopias that are declawed mm. of human interaction and problem so those are yeah that's some mm. of where I was mm. at so let's dive into the books um can you offer a summary of what j- just so for folks that aren't familiar with the story yes. what are these books about basically these books are about everything, y'all. Um, <laughs> the catch. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, fundamentally, like the major, major, major themes are these are <coughs> books that are about like what is the outcome of capitalism and Christianity as a combination for how a nation runs itself, like in the largest scale, right? And what is the destiny of human beings inside of those conditions? Um, and Octavia asserts that the destiny of humans is to take root amongst the stars and that this entire experience that we're having on this planet is like a womb experience. It's like we are cultivating and we are developing enough that eventually we will be able to leave this planet. This is like where we're just, you know, gestating and gestating ideologically, gestating as a species, and then eventually be able to 
take root amongst the stars. Um, so that's like the meta. And then some of the, like what happens. So the, the main character is Lauren Olamina and she is, I think when we meet her, she's like 15, 16 years old and she's living in this gated enclave and the gated system is keeping out those who like really don't have and can't afford it and keeping in those who basically like planned ahead and we're like, we're going to buy this space and kind of lock ourselves into it as society crumbles around us. And it's really crumbling on an economic level. So you have all these people who are outside who are barely making it, barely surviving. And there's addiction problems, overuse problems, there's increase in intense violence. And we see all that through Olamina's eyes. So it's like when she and her family like all leave the enclave, then we see around her what's happening. The important thing to know about Lauren, Lauren Olamina, I'll use those interchangeably and I hope folks can follow. So the important thing about Lauren is she's an, she has a um, what she considers a disease or a, 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 a condition of hyper empathy that has come down because her mother took a certain drug and it's like come into her system and, and a lot of other people's system and the way it plays out. And she calls it the, I forgot this. So I, had, I think I had to read the book four or five times <laughs> before I really took in that even in the writing of it, she talks about it as this is something that creates an illusion or an illusory state that she believes in so completely that it seems real the first several times I read it, I was like, oh, it's just real. But it's hyper-empathy. So it's like if she sees someone get cut or she sees someone get hurt, she experiences the pain as if it's happening to her. So that feels important because I, when I look at like, oh, social justice movements and all that we're doing, I think most of us are just at the, at the root system. We're empaths. And we're like, I cannot handle the pain, so I have to do something about it. And I think there's other people who are not necessarily empaths. Or it's not their nature. Anyway, so we'll get to all that. But so... The household is gated. I mean, she's in this gated community, and her father is a pastor. Her father is, so she's a Christian household that she's growing up in. And um, inside that Christian household, she starts to feel the truth of Earthseed. It starts to come to her, this other belief system. And she's jotting it down, writing down these notes like that become the books of Earthseed. And like just imagining that, like this 15-year-old black girl in this little gated community coming up with a whole new belief system and trying to figure out, like, how do I interact with my father? They share the same birthday. They have a lot in common as the kind of humans that they are in the world. So she's coming up with Earthseed. She's got like a little boyfriend that she's hooking up with. She's got some best friends. She's trying to bring everyone along. And then their community gets attacked um, and I always kind of rush through, like all this stuff happens while they're in the community. They leave the community, they go out, her brother goes missing, like all this stuff is happening. Her, um, but there, I mean, I don't want to tell every single <laughs> little detail, but then or that the community gets attacked. And the thing that's really important is when the community gets attacked, she's been preparing and other people have not. So she's been preparing these, this, her go bag basically and her go bag. So if you have any friends around you, you need to make sure y'all have go bags. I know for me, my friend, Danny McLean and I, uh, she is a writer for the nation. Um, but we went to college together and we both like very early on, like go bag, like mm -hmm. you need to go bag. I need to go mm -hmm. bag. Like everybody needs a go bag. And what's in the go bag is like cash, pills for, um, you know, clear, clearing water. And she has this book that tells all the plants that you need to know in Northern California and just like just survival tools, you know, like things that you need. So she's able to grab that go bag, get out of the gated community. She can't find anyone else in her community. She eventually ends up with like two people, but basically her family is gone as far as she knows. She doesn't know what's happening to them. And th those who attack the community are 
there's just basically this whole community that is like pyromaniacs. They're obsessed with burning everything down, which feels also so relevant right mm-hmm. now when we're coming out of a year where it's just been fires everywhere and we're like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the community gets burned down and so she's on the road and she's suddenly on the road with two people from her community who are not like natural allies and not people who are like, I'm down with our seed. And the thing that's so beautiful is that they take her leadership. Ultimately, they end up taking her leadership, even though she is a teenager, basically, and they're both adults. Um, and she begins this trip, basically walking up the coast. So that's the parable of the sower, is like her journey up the coast with these people and kind of a ragtag bunch of people that she grabs along the way. And one of the major lessons from the parable of the sower is everyone is a potential ally. You do not know who is going to be in there with you, but you do need to have the skills to be able to present very well your worldview to assess whether that person's safe or not safe to come along and to navigate and negotiate very different belief systems in order to stay safe. So she makes it all the way up to Oregon. She meets this man named Bancole, who's like 60 years old. Mm -hmm. And by this point, she's like 18. So it's like she's years on the road. This journey is not a short one. They fall in love, which is a theme that happens often in Octavia's work, is very wide-ranging age love affairs, which there's some up with that. We can probably discuss, but um, that's the first book. So that's Parable of the Sower, leaves us at getting there and beginning this community that's called Acorn. Um, Parable of the Talents picks up with surviving an acorn, trying to figure out how does life work there. And some of the stuff that they're doing is growing their own food, creating, yes, creating safety systems. You're a human being, so things are going to move. Um, so growing their own food, creating these safety systems um, of you know how the community works. But there's as an organizer, I'm really fascinated by like how Acorn actually works and when they come together, what they study together, the fact that they go out and bury all around um, their community these again basically different versions of the go bags, right? But like mm-hmm. they go and bury like places where it's like here's a bunch of cash, <laughs> mm-hmm. here's a bunch of resources. So in case something happens to our community, we'll be able to you know, make an exit and not be totally destitute. Um, so they're there, they're building community. They're going on these different like journeys to different spots to be able to get supplies and trade with people. And she's actually pretty good at that. In that journey, she sees her brother, um, one of her brothers that she thought was dead. And he's actually, uh, become enslaved, like a sex slave. And she buys his freedom and brings him home and starts trying to rebuild the relationship with him and he ends up becoming her foe, her -hmm. enemy. Um, He's really carrying his Christian version of things forward. Oh, and this feels important. Book two is told from the perspective of Larkin, her daughter. Mm -hmm. Her daughter who is estranged from her for most of her life and and she's estranged because her brother ends up kidnapping Larkin and taking her or having her sort of kidnapped. He knows where she is the whole time and having her raised away from, from Olamina. Um, this book is devastating. I, I just have to say, like, this book is like totally devastating. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's beautiful, but it's a super devastating book. Um, just a couple more points that feel important for summarizing. Am I going like way long? Nope. Okay. I'm like, right um, so one thing is that, um, the, the group that is now terrorizing everyone is called Christian America. And it is, um, the president that has run for office is Andrew Jarrett, and he runs on the campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. 
um, which I'm like, you can't make this stuff up, mm. except you can make it up if you're That's Octavia terrifying. and you can just like totally see the future. Um, so they start coming across this body. They're like, okay, Christian America, Christian America, Christian America. Let's see if I can do this at the same time. I'm pouring wine, everyone, just so Ooh, you know. It's lit. Um, it's lit. It's the lit review. And that's how I gave it. Um, so Christian America is like building and sort of closing and they start to recognize like, okay, we are in, we're a threat. They, their neighbors get attacked. And then eventually Christian America comes and smashes Acorn and takes everyone prison, prisoner, enslaves them, puts slave collars on them that shock them. And so it's really like Octavia does an incredible job of creating a prison system that's like, oh, you can't, there's no easy escape from this. Um, and they they go through many experiences in there. One is um, there's a lesbian couple that gets um, viciously attacked. They're, I mean, there's just like so much is happening. Mm-hmm. And they're all like right up on each other while this is all going on. Um, escape in this condition means you have to lose everything. Like you have to be willing to lose everything and potentially everyone in order to get free. And so I think it's also important that Octavia puts that out to us because I think a lot of us when we imagine escaping whatever our current condition is we always imagine our people are with us like uh, we don't really imagine like Mm -hmm. oh would I still want to survive if I had to run away from every single person I knew and loved and cared about and give up all of our land and all of our resources to do it so Octavia puts us in that condition and they do eventually escape but it does mean losing everything about the place and everything that matters to them in order to do it Um, and then I think the last thing that I'll share here that feels really important is after that, in order to spread Earthseed, Lauren doesn't give up on Earthseed. Like a lot of people might at that point just be like, okay, my experiment failed. Acorn is done. Instead, she starts going door to door. And I think that conviction to vision is something that I constantly want to challenge organizers on is like, how convicted are you? What do you actually believe in? That like, no matter what happened, you would have to continue to do that work and move it forward. So she's like that. And again, that unlikely ally thing comes in where she's like, I'm knocking on every door and whoever answers and is willing to talk to me, that's who I'm going to talk to. And I'm going to share with them my vision for Earthseed. And so she does that. She builds a following. She starts being able to get resources. She eventually is able to build a ship and the book closes with that ship taking off. But because Octavia never likes to make it easy on us, the ship is called the Christopher Columbus. And she just like, because this ship will be colonizing whatever it goes towards. Mm. Um, now, the thing that's not on any of these pages, but there is a third book. Um, there's drafts and drafts and drafts of it in her papers, um, which is the exactly. We're so excited about this little baby. Um, so there's a little baby here that's one month old that's just going to be throwing in some commentary here and there. Um, first media appearance. First media <laughs> um, this baby is is swoontastic. So um, uh, so parable of the trickster is the third book, and just a couple of notes that we know about it that I know about. I haven't got a lot of people have gotten to read some of the drafts, but basically that they keep now trying to go to these other planets and apparently they're part of what was happening for Octavia was she kept getting too depressed because every other planet they went to was not earth and was very depressing. Um, but one of the earth seed verses from that is there's nothing new under the sun, but there are new suns. Um, and I, I also love that idea and a little bit more just about earth seed in here. Cause it feels important. Like as the tie, 
is as a belief system, the fundamental aspect of it is that change is the constant. Change is a divine force. So I have it tattooed on my body is that all that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. And in that, it's not like a personification of God, but really like the active force in the universe that is constant change. That is a divine force. And that it's not always happening to us, but actually that we are we can potentially shape it. Like if we decide to take responsibility for what's happening around us, we can shape it. We can't control it, but we can help shape it. And the more collectively we work together, the more we can shape it. Um, there's so much more to it, but one of my favorite verses of Ursi talks about how you pray with what you do. Mm-hmm. Like rather than sitting and praying somewhere, it's like pray working, pray gardening, pray planting the food, you know? Um, but there's a website where you can just, if you just Google like earth seed versus soul seed or something, there's a, ver- there's a place where you can just see the earth seed verses, which I recommend. Mm-hmm. But I just think earth seed, it cannot be understated how important it actually is. I think for us to study earth seed in this time, um, it's, it's, she thought it did not have enough comfort in it to be taken seriously as an, as an actual belief system. But I think she was wrong and I'm practicing. Mm-hmm. It. So, um, I think that is the summary. Ooh, thank you for well that. Done. Really, Very really well done, <laughs> well done summary. So thank what you. Happens you read something every it's, year. For it's your like six hundred pages. I feel like yeah. you have a degree in Octavia Butler. Like thank there should you. be, there should be, thank that you. should be I a needed thing. Someone to say it needs to, to happen. Yeah. Whole adult life. Yeah. That's no, absolutely. Um, not that degrees mean things, right? But they like don't mean that, anything. They don't mean anything. Except that you study something yeah, for a long exactly, ass time. Exactly. And paid a lot of money. I just paid a lot of money. But it has to be a PhD because it's like that. So thank you for that. Thank you. I have a lot of questions. I don't know how, right. you know. Just go. I'm just going to do a really basic question. Um, <laughs> I like so that. There's no stupid questions, there, but there might just, be basic ones. basic That's questions, great. but not stupid questions. Um, so it's really also interesting that I, so I've never read these books, right? But yet. I've read yet. Emergent Strategy. Yet. Yes, yet. yes, there is a yet. Yeah. Uh, but I've read Emergent Strategy and... Everything that you were saying, I was like, oh, that's why Adrian said that. And that's why Adrian. So it was like a really exactly. informative, you know, especially with the, um, the, 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 what was it? You have nothing to lose. Yes. You, you know, you have everything. You have nothing to lose, but you have everything to get free. Yeah. Um, the change is constant. All of yeah. those themes came up in your emerging yeah. strategy, which we'll get to a little bit later. Um, and you talked a little bit about how Octavia actually isn't wasn't an organizer, um, and was, um, mm-hmm. but but still a lot of the things that she was talking about were really relevant to um, organizing and community organizing yeah. and strategy and tactics and, yeah. and, and and base building and so how do how do the and you touched a little bit about it but I want to um, get a little deeper into it. it was how does this parables um, how do the parables really inform? our current political landscape, right? Um, especially yeah. with, you said that the slogan was make America great again, right? And yeah. that's just really Quite trippy. Literally. And I think yes. when, when um, you know, when Trump was um, up for election, um, Octavia Butler came up a lot, especially on my newsfeed. It was like, she predicted it. Like, this yeah. was a thing. Like, and yeah. here's how she laid it out, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, so can you just get a little bit into that? Just like, totally. what, how does that inform where we're at right now? Yeah. Well, two things. One is, I think it informs where we're at because I think we need to pay attention to people who don't identify as organizers Mm -hmm. and take them much more seriously as people who can help shape whatever we're heading into or can give us some insight on what we need to know or just consider like, oh, the whole belief system for the future might come from someone who is not, you know, um, 
and organized or, or woke in the ways that we're thinking of those mm-hmm. things right now, mm-hmm. um, we get so insular so quickly. We get so like, these are my people. We share the belief system. We're the only good ones. Everyone else is them. And um, I think just to me, Octavia's existence is a challenge of that way of thinking. And then I think what she puts in her in both these novels and all of her other work is she continuously troubles the water of that concept, you know, that's like, Oh, your people are just the ones you've chosen who all agree with you. Um, and you know, she studied, she read everything. She studied, you know, slugs and, and nature and mushrooms and she was reading the news and she was feeling right. Like I think hyper empathy comes from her own experience of feeling so much feeling overwhelming amounts. Mm-hmm. I mean, she got writer's block several times, I think, from all that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So I think just to talk about like who Octavia is and why that's relevant for our movements right now is I think there's a lot of people right now who are seeing what's happening in the world and they're feeling totally overwhelmed by it, totally heartbroken, totally frozen by all of it. And how do we, in the way that we do our organizing constantly be inviting people in and giving people permission to have all that feeling to have different opinions in us and be learning rather than you have to show up to the door of the movement fully formed with a complete Mm -hmm. analysis intact and never say the wrong words Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so I think Mm -hmm. that's one piece of it and I think the piece around just the political conditions you know I think if people I think like three years ago five years ago most of us could not have imagined like the conditions we're living in right now um the both the climate, you know, just like literally the climate conditions we're living in now where it's like, oh, we had a, we just had a week this year where we had three hurricanes happening while the entire West Coast was on fire. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, the conditions that I think many of us thought were going to be like, oh, that's still another 20 years or something in the future. It's like, no, mm-hmm. or today. Um, and then I think the political conditions are also, um, heightened in this way that feels so regressive or so like, oh, we're, it's like a move all the way back to, um, civil war, you know, um, era, white, white, whiteness and concept of whiteness and, um, whiteness paired with, um, (laughs) (laughs) hold on. I know I'm also like, I feel like I need a cough too. No. Okay. It'll come and go, but, um, whiteness paired with violence. Whiteness paired with like a per, uh, violence that has permission. Mm-hmm. So I feel like something like a Christian America um, is a more organized version of what we are experiencing right now, which is white male um, terror that is, you know, like a white male's fear of like being displaced, being disempowered, and being erased or, or whatever it is. I'm, I'm trying so hard to like feel like how can I expand my empathy towards whatever the fuck is going on with your white male privilege thing um but I think that a lot of that that overlap where it's like oh um there's there's folks who feel like the only way that their way of being can survive is if they eliminate us like there's no coexistence that's possible so that feels politically aligned too um and in terms of what it offers us for this moment, you know, I think I always read this as like a warning against getting overly romantic about institution building um, because, you know, they they make acorn and it's totally amazing and they're growing everything and they're taking care of each other and they've got their practices. Um, but it's smashed because they were like, we're not building an effective um, protection and analysis around like the national situation, mm-hmm. federal, mm-hmm. regional. So, you know, like we tend to do the same thing as we'll get very in our little 
we're building our institution, we're building our nonprofit, we're building our structure, we're fundraising for it, and everything's happening. And then something comes and knocks the feet out from under mm-hmm. our, organi- our organizations or our work. Um, and we don't know how to adapt very quickly. Like we're like, oh, I'm stuck on this institution. We've got to keep it alive rather than I'm really deeply committed to a set of core ideas that will move through a variety of institutions in their lifetime and our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, which to me, like when I look at like the work of the movement for black lives, that's one of the things that gets me excited is there's so many, you know, blackness is not a monolith and there's so many ways that black people are working for liberation and we're trying to make room for all those to be in concert and in a dance and have impact together um, rather than being like, we're going to ride or die fight for each one of them to exist forever. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's exist how long we need to. Mm-hmm. So those things feel like mm-hmm. um, like really relevant points for right now. Mm-hmm. And then this piece around hyper empathy, I just cannot emphasize enough that those of us who can feel it's not a weakness, it's a strength. It's like one of the things that makes us most human. And I think it's one of the things that will ultimately save our species if it's savable, mm-hmm. is that there are those of us who are not um, going numb. Um, or, you know, we go numb. <laughs> it's like, I go numb around 7 o'clock each night. But, I mean, there's those of us who are at least during some hours of our day intentionally choosing to look at the truth and, and try to find solutions and beauty and miracle inside of all that. Um, and who are intentionally growing our capacity to feel. So like when I think about like somatics or I look around at like so much of what's happening in our movement, it feels like, oh, people are like cultivating their capacity to feel, Mm -hmm. even though all of the stuff we're having to feel right now is so hard, we're still cultivating our capacity to feel. I think because we know that interdependence relies on like actually being able to feel each other Mm -hmm. um, and how to take that and move it from being a weakness into a strength. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are some Mm -hmm. things. So I remember as I was reading this, one of the things that came to mind a lot for me was MLK's quote, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I thought Octavia Butler was being like, not quite. (laughs) So there's this other like earth seed verse. I was like scrambling for it as you were speaking. Uh, But there's a passage on uh, chaos. And she says one part of it is she says, um, you know, chaos is God's most dangerous face, amorphous, rolling, hungry, shape, chaos, shape, God act. And the book is one where it's like, there is not justice to this moment right now. Like it's just chaotic. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think the metaphor to Trump can be dangerous because again, it makes it seem like it's like the single, it's like, Oh, she was just having a premonition for Trump. It's like, no, this is what she's saying. Mm -hmm. Like these things happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if, but acorn feels like this really important example of what it means to be someone who embraces that philosophy of like the only, you know, God has changed. The only lasting Mm -hmm. truth is change. Um, Who's able to build a community around that principle which is very different than that quote of king that everybody loves to throw around so what what are the lessons of acorn then how do we embrace that philosophy and acts as she calls us to do i love that i love the questions you're asking and i mean i think this piece around i I always have the my problem with the book is that like i love this planet (laughs) so much (laughs) like i'm really hooked on earth and um so this idea of like the destiny our destiny is to actually leave the planet it's very hard for me i'm an environmentalist i'm a climate justice person you know like i'm just Mm -hmm. like no i really want to you know, I don't want to break up. I want to like make it work out. You know, like I'm so sorry I've been mistreating you, and like I really am here now. Um, so <laughs> I feel like that all the time. I'm just like sorry, guys. Um, you know, I was like that's my bad self. I'm sorry. So, um, 
So that to me is one of the biggest lessons of ACORN is like there is a way to be in right relationship with this planet. And even if everyone on the planet is not ready for it, even if people want to come and smash it, like there's also a really right way to be in relationship here. And they practice that. And some of the lessons of that, um, one is being in relationship with the land, like actually getting your hands in the dirt and being like the food we eat is the food we grow. And we have a direct relationship with the, the growing process. Um, and even a direct relationship with like who does that, you know, it's like, Oh, I know you mm-hmm. and you planted that lettuce and like the lettuce is great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I think that's one lesson. I think the second is like, how does a community actually come together mm-hmm. and not just come together because we're in conflict, which I think we do a lot of, but come together because it's, and not just come together for like the church experience, you know, the way that they structure the earth seed experience in acorn is like folks come, she reads them some of earth seed and they have a discussion with each other. Um, which again, feels very counter to the way, at least th- that I grew up in, in a Christian environment where it's just like, you go somewhere, you sit there, you don't say anything the entire time. Someone talks to you and then you go. Yeah. And I love that idea of like, actually, if you want people to build community together, they have to wrestle with the ideas together about what the community is doing. And then I think this piece around, it's not for everyone is also really important. Um, and I think our movement has a lot to learn about this right now. There's this um, definition of principled struggle that Tanya Lee from Left Roots um, shared at a meeting I was at recently. And, and one part of it is like, consider that the con- this container might not may or may not be the right fit for you. And I feel like ACORN is like that. Like if people come and they're like, I'm not down to do the earth seed meetings or I'm not down to actually do my part of the volunteering. She's like, then you're not part of this community and you're mm-hmm. not going to work here. Even her brother, you know, she's like, you're not, this doesn't work. You have to leave, you know? So that feels like a really important lesson is like, I think right now we try so hard to bend over backwards to make sure that every single person can fit. And I think every single person, there's a definitely a place in the fight for justice and liberation for every single person. But I do think it's important that each person finds like, what is the right shape for me? What is the right people that I want around me? What is the right energy? Um, and, you know, I think about this a lot. Like there's people who come into that space. They need a different kind of support. Like Marcus, her brother, Marcus comes in having been through this process of sex slavery extreme trauma right and he comes into this space and he's not able to really be there and I'm like oh what do we do when people have extreme trauma and they're showing up to our movement spaces yeah. and wanting to move forward and I'm like we I think there's a big role to play for like how do we support those people to get the kind of support they need mm-hmm. rather than thinking that we can be therapy and healing space and be good organizers and everything else like I think movements don't have to be traumatizing but I also don't know that they can be the healing cauldron for all things. Mm. And I think if you try to collapse all that into one space, um, you weaken the space. Like you weaken the space because you're promising people mm. something you actually can't deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think Octavia warns us ag- against that. She's like, you know, what you can offer is what you can offer. You have to be honest about it. Um, I think those are some of the lessons of ACORN. I think the other one is that even as you're building towards the future and seeding what you want to see, you really have to be aware of the world around you and aware of like what's closing in, what are the policies that are shifting around you that are going to actually have impact on your life, um, and what are the things beyond policy. Like The only reason Christian America is able to destroy ACORN is because basically the culture is we don't fight back against Christian America. So there's no one in the neighbors or other spaces that are able to step in and be like, we got you, we're going to protect you and save you. Everyone's like 
we don't know what to do. Um, and I think we're in that we're, you know, right now I think we're trying to figure that out as mm-hmm. like, okay, so mm-hmm. if like Tiki Torch people come walking down, like, do we punch them in the face or do we mm-hmm. run away or do we, you know, keep it nonviolent and stay all peaceful or, you know, just like, what is the right move? I think we're trying mm-hmm. to figure that out mm-hmm. right now. And Acorn suggests that we need to be really good with our security culture and mm-hmm. Acorn suggests that there's some things that are going to be out of our control and we need to be in right relationship with each other so we can sustain through the through even surviving those things. Mm. Something that stood up. Oh, did you have a question? I had a quick follow up okay. around that. So I was trying to text you and it, it came out. Oh, I, I got I got the yeah, text. It's, it's, it's so like cute. Y'all are now. texting back and forth <laughs> over my face. OK, go but, ahead. Oh, so mine was around. So when um, so Acorn is. Um, yeah, like shut down or like taken over right by these right wing Christians, uh, and they they as you mentioned, like they put them into this. The public narrative, if I remember right, is that they're work camps, mm-hmm. and that scene is okay. Um, but they're horror. I mean, that's like a a terrible euphemism, um, it, or exactly what it is. Work camps has never been a good thing. Um, they bring up images of like the Holocaust, right, and things like that. Yeah. And so the this this prison that she's in, where they have these collars. For me, that's the most. That's much more terrifying to me than like there's a person in it who reminds us of Trump. Yeah. Um, because we have the technology. Right now we put oh, it on yeah. dogs, but like this is this yes. it's a collar that uh, yeah. that puts gives you an electric shock if yeah. you cross a boundary yes. or at the push of a button, which yeah. we have. If you um, disobey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And or if you're queer. Yeah, exa- right. And yeah, or if, yeah. Um and but right now, but in the, rather in the book, the only way she I remember Octavia is able to imagine them able to to fight back and get free from that is there's a mudslide that yeah. knocks over yes. the, the trailer that the remote yeah. control is in. She can't even fathom a way for them to like the, Yeah. And I just don't I yeah. never I didn't know what to do with that. It yeah. really bothered me. Well, so this is <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it's disturbing. Um I mean, one of the things I I hear you on the like that really bothered me. I also feel like it's kind of the um, ultimately to me, there's a beauty in it, too, which is like sometimes the solution is not one that we humans can enact. It's something that the planet has to enact or something that has to be larger than ourselves. And I'm like, how do like this is what it's like shape chaos You know, like, what does it mean to shape chaos? And there's, these are ancient practices, right? Like indigenous peoples remember how to dance the rain down. They know how to Mm. do this stuff. Like that means it's in all of our histories, right? Like each of us has somewhere in our lineage, indigeneity. Mm. Each of us has somewhere in our lineage, people who know like, what's the magic of this land and what is the potential for human relationship with this land? And that's not like, you know, that's not like, oh, romantic sci-fi visions of what could happen. That's like, no, that's just like how humans have been in relationship with this place um, that we've been dis- disconnected from because I think it's so powerful, right? It's so powerful. And if people are like, I want to monopolize the entire planet, then it's like, oh, we have to disconnect people who know how to talk to the planet <laughs> mm-hmm. from that relationship. So I think that's a very intentional disconnection. And then I think under the weight of all the suffering they experience in Acorn, that the earth of Acorn that they've been loving on takes care of them that's beautiful right takes care of them and I think that to me I'm just like oh how do we all start to love on the land that we're in so much so like I've been thinking about this with all these hurricanes and fires it's like how how do we get into the kind of relationship with the planet where now that we're like hurricane can you just go to what's that lago Mars lago or whatever (laughs) I was like I was like we need to work on your aim hurricane Mm -hmm. you know like you're destroying the wrong things but I do feel like there's something about like oh we're not right now we're not in a clear enough relationship with the planet right Mm. we haven't been in enough ritual and enough ceremony I think as a as a species and as communities um 
to, to sort of call in what we need. And right. And I think, I mean, like, yeah, I just think the planet is like, y'all for real. It's about to be done, done. Like, I'm really not about to let y'all have the keys <laughs> to the house to anymore, right? Um, and I'm not going to make distinctions amongst yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there are so many people now who are doing massive ritual and who are trying to figure out, like, oh, healing is actually not, um, it's not just like a selfish, self-absorbed thing. It's actually like, oh, we need to heal something as our righteous political <laughs> act mm-hmm. if we hope to stay here. Mm-hmm. And we need to humble ourselves if we hope to stay here. Mm-hmm. So. Something you said earlier really struck me, and that was that the goal isn't, you know, and our goal, right, is liberation, and our goal isn't to not have any problems, right, because there are always going to be problems, you know, hopefully. regardless, of, you know, <laughs> hopefully, right, because you said, yeah. like you said, it, it would be boring, it would be bland, it would be, yeah. you know, and then, but that's how we think of our, you know, a lot of people think about utopia or, like, liberation, right, mm-hmm. it's like that we're all just, like, happy people, and we're all just here, and we're all yeah. smiling, and we're all just, like, everything's fine. There's right. no more. And I might just no be thing. underdeveloped. Right? Like, I mean, this might be one of those things where like some like high, hardcore Zen Buddhist is just like, you just don't have a tolerance for like, peace or whatever. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. all good. But I, I'm That's on the I'm same at. page with you. I was <laughs> like, totally I like the same page with you. And I think, yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And I think, um, you know, a lot of our communities are messy and, and we're, you know, sometimes we get to the point of like, well, just fuck it. Like I'm yeah. out. Like I, pu- I'm yes. pulling out. I'm done. You know. Yes. And like sometimes that's okay, right? Yeah. And then sometimes yeah. you just like something you said in your book, and I think I brought this up during the emergent strategy um, book was that which was you- wildly amazing. <laughs> Hannah Baptiste was incredible. Hannah was amazing. Hannah was amazing. And y'all were amazing, and I was crying the whole time. So that was amazing. And something that really came up for me was like you were like you don't have to deal with this conflict if you don't want to, but you might be missing out on a really incredible moment in your enti- in your life, usually right? You and like are. usually yeah. you are. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. You know, like okay, I'll let me deal with this. Yes. Um, so how how does this book teach us about resilience, or how mm. does this book teach us how to love people that we didn't intend to build community with, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. how how does this book really inform that for us? And 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 um, knowing that when shit hits the fan, we're not going to be surrounded by those people we've spent years and years and years building this perfect, yeah. you know, decision making process and this perfect exactly. like community and like exactly. we're not going to end up with those people exactly. at the end. So how does this book help us? With I that? mean, we may or may not. I may mean, that's the not. beautiful thing. Yeah. It's like we really don't. We don't know. know. Yeah. But the way that so much of our life is structured right now is we're not in direct and close physical community with our community necessarily, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are, mm-hmm. but a lot of us are like, oh. Oh, you know, like I, my parents live near Boston. My sister with all the babies lives in rural Minnesota. My other sister lives outside of DC. Like, I'm like, if we just wanted to get our family together under the conditions of like, Ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, which way do I walk? Like, yeah. what are we doing? Um, but I think one of the pieces is everything is experiment. Everything is practice. And we tend to not approach it that way. We tend to approach it as like, this is my final way of being in love. This is my final way of making an organization. This is the right way. And I feel like Octavia is constantly pulling away right and wrong and just being like, there's not really right and wrong. There's like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And you're going to keep learning with what you're doing. So to me, this idea of like, oh, how do we make our communities, how do we make ourselves able to form community wherever we land? Mm -hmm. So this is like the dandelion, right? Mm -hmm. It's like when a dandelion, like when you blow a dandelion, each one of the little pieces, when it lands, it's like a whole dandelion community can burst out of that thing. And I think of that like for human beings, how do we 
be like, oh, what are the core things about humanity that I want to embody so completely that no matter where I land, that's what you're going to pick up off me. And like, if I come walking up to you on the road and we're all covered in dirt and dust and like you have water and I've got like, you know, a beef jerky or something like we can deal with each other like we can really have a respectful dignified interaction where we don't have to agree mm. and at, right now what we've been cultivating is like I know how to I know how to click up I know how to like find my people and ex- and then like make other people not a part of me what me and my people are doing <laughs> right um and I, I've just been like as a facilitator this is something that I keep thinking about is like how do we do belonging in a way that doesn't rely on other people not belonging, mm. right? Fundamentally, like how do we form a community that's not about who's outside of it? Mm. And the American way used to be come, right? Like even when it's the worst messy, you know, we just colonized everything and we just obliterated, you know, it's like we just like killed a bunch of people so that we can make this room for everyone to come. It's a very complex mm. invitation, but it's also like, the idea was that people would come here. And now it's like the idea is like, no, like we've got something that's too valuable. No one else can come here. And it wasn't even ours, <laughs> you know, but people were like, now it's ours. Now you can't come here. So to me, this, this, I'm like, oh, how do we keep our children from learning that belonging means borders and walls and, um, words that you say that keep other people out and having a certain kind of documentation that says that you get to belong and other people don't like all this stuff to me comes up really in a major way around like what it, what are we trying to actually cultivate? Um, the other piece that just feels really core for me, I get, you know, it's, it's still in this line of belonging is like we right now, I don't think we know enough about what we're for. Like, what is it we're longing for? What is it we're fighting for? What does we actually want to see? Mm-hmm. And, even if we were kind of getting there under the last administration, <laughs> I feel like now we've spent a year in such intense reactivity. Mm. Um, so what we've been practicing as a collective body is waking up. And for most people that I talk to, like within an hour of waking up, you have turned to some source of information and you're getting bombarded with like horrific news not just small, I mean, like, things that, like, a year ago, two years ago, like, any one of these pieces of news would have been, like, a week's worth Mm -hmm. of, we need to process this and figure out what to do, and now it's, like, the pileup is so intense. It'll be, like, in a day, we have, you know, a month's worth worth of news to respond to. I think that's not unintentional. I think that's very intentional. That's just, like, Mm -hmm. this administration is trying to wear us out, and I think it's succeeding. A lot of the people I see are, like, I'm actually totally exhausted. I don't know how much more I can take in. To me, I'm like, okay, good. Let's, we've done a year of that. <laughs> Let's now, we know who this administration is. We know what they're up to. We can see their strategy is to wear us down. We can see that there's a, a lot of mess on their end. I wouldn't even say there's a coherent strategy necessarily other than just like shit storms and chaos. Um, and we also have now our, our, on our end of it, we are all over the map. So, if you're sort of in the middle of the road, you know, like you're Democrat oriented or you were like very pro Hillary, right? The Democratic Party is like having a meltdown right now, very openly and publicly, which I think is interesting, right? Which like, I'm not like, um, you know, like part the species side of me is a little bit like, 
hey, you guys, like, is now the best time for this, given that, like, you know, (laughs) we do really need to get some coherent response on climate stuff happening, like, ASAP, you know, (laughs) yesterday. And I'm like, you guys are the best hope for being able to do that at a larger scale Mm -hmm. um, to even, like, kind of slow down the bad, right? But then the revolutionary side of me is like, no, that's fine. Like, if y'all are going to melt down, like, melt down. Because what you've been doing is so... Um, not helpful and not enough that I kind of don't care, (laughs) you know, like I'm just like, you're not helping. Um, And there's really exciting projects like the electoral justice project is just starting out of, out of the movement for black lives. But like people were like, we're going to mess with this electoral process, but on our own terms. And I think the more we have people who are like, I'm willing to do that. That's interesting. Um, but I do think we're in this interesting moment. Where it's like, oh, the meltdown is happening all over the place. And there's an opportunity for us to be the most coherent voice in that mix and the most compelling voice in that mix. But it's going to mean a lot more humility than we've currently been practicing. So right now we practice like we have an analysis. It's the right analysis. Come get on board with it. Octavia, even when she presented Ursi to people, which she believed like it was coming up from a root place. This is the way I feel about emergent strategy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't write emergent strategy. Emergent strategy came through mm. because it is true, mm-hmm. right? And even though I believe that, when I interact with someone who's never experienced it, I'm not like, this is true, you need to shut up, right? I'm just <laughs> like, this is a way, this is an option, read it if you don't like it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely I had someone come on who told me that they could not read the book. And it's only one person that I've heard that I'm like, I guess I'm sure there's tons, but they just haven't told me. Um, <laughs> but this one person said it on the Internet and I got to see it and we inter- interacted around. It. I was like, why? You yeah. know, like what what happened for you? And he was just like, it was just too like kind of all over the place, like the, the style of writing. And I was like, OK, cool. But what about what about the ideas? <laughs> you know, I was like, but did you like the ideas? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, um, and, you know, but I do have that feeling of like, I have to be willing, I have to be open to the idea that someone's not going to just take it as the, my truth mm-hmm. and actually have to be willing to relinquish the idea of truth, mm-hmm. of there being like a truth mm-hmm. and instead be like, oh, you have your truth that's shaped by your entire experience and mm-hmm. I have mine. Mm-hmm. And how do we bring those truths into something that be, can be in relationship with each other in a way that moves forward? Monica and I's first reading of Introduction to Octavia was reading Kindred, which is a book about, um, I mean, it has similarities to other works, but it is in some ways somewhat separate. Um, It's the book that goes backwards. backwards. Everything else goes forward. Exactly. And it brings us back to, um, you know, like chattel slavery in Southern Southern America. Um, And I think that's important because to me it gives context or it helped me understand a little bit more about Octavia Butler. Like she's not uh-huh. going forwards without a thought of where we've been as black people Ever. at all, Never. right? Uh-huh. And it's very obvious in that book. But also, and she says his- it. That's one of her things that she said in her interviews. Often was like, "We cannot really imagine the future unless we understand where we've come from." Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that first. You know, yeah. who was Octavia? Yes. Like, who was she? What did she do, and mm-hmm. why? Right? As from what you know, but also like, what <laughs> is the connection between this book, which feels the most present in yeah. some? ways even though it is there are elements of futuristic but like what is the connection how does this book fit into sort of that radical black tradition or into the movements for abolition that we're fighting for now well I just I love Octavia so much that's great I don't even know where that was seamless I don't even understand what the other one was so (laughs) um so who was Octavia well Octavia was the best um Octavia was this black science fiction writer 
And one of the things that I love to share is that I learned from Ayana Jameson. Ayana Jameson and Moya Bailey are um, the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network. And Ayana lives in Pasadena and does tours of Octavia's like stomping mm-hmm. grounds, basically, where she came up. And one of the things Ayana told me was that Octavia's mother actually had four miscarriages of masculine children. Um, that And there's this like whole science thing that's like basically everything that's ever in your body there's always elements trace elements of it mm-hmm. and so there's these trace elements of these four children that all kind of came through and Octavia was the only person only one that made it all the way through to life um, so she's carrying whatever spirit whatever is left in there so this is Octavia so she's this awkward black woman with an underbite who's like six feet tall and has this incredible voice and is a hermit, is very like socially awkward and internal and processing, you know, sort of taking in the world um, and, and thinking it through, but from, from a place of like more isolation or a place of more solitude and being like, oh, what do I do here? When she was nine years old, she um, was watching on television, this movie came on, uh, The Devil Girl from Mars, and she said, I can do this better than that. I can write something better than that. And so that was sort of the beginning of her fiction writing career. Um, Kindred was not Kindred was the first book that was published but it was not the first book that she wrote and I, I love telling people that really the Pattern Master series the Pattern Master series was like the first conceit that she came up with and I think it flows through almost everything that she puts out it's because it's all about like what are the networks or structures of liberation and like how do we come into relationship with each other across the chasm of those who take and those who heal Right. And that all of it is like there's a relationship, fundamentally relationship mm-hmm. between those two. Um, then she has this other collection that's Lilith's Brood, mm-hmm. the Xenogenesis series, which is humans wake up 200 years after the apocalypse. And a few of them have been saved by this incredible alien species called the Onkali that have a third gender called the Uloi, which basically shaped my entire sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that book, she posits that the great human flaw is hierarchy and intelligence Mm -hmm. and the fact that we have both of those um, and we cannot figure out how to balance between the two of them is the fatal flaw so inside of all of that she's putting out these books these concepts but kindred when she releases it it's the most accessible book and she traveled by bus across from california to maryland to do the research for this and traveled back like she was a worker right she was a factory worker she was waking up at 3 a.m in the morning in order to write her fiction um before she went to work like this you know and then she writes that in so kindred the character of dana is very similar it's like Mm -hmm. someone who's like working and um and trying to figure this stuff out in the, in the dark. Um, and so th- that's just a little bit about who who Octavia is. And I think it's important that the book that was the most famous during her lifetime was Kindred, the one that did the, the best. And I think, there's a, I think the main reason for that is because America is not done with working out the trauma and the longing that intersects in slavery. Mm-hmm. So I think right now we have a huge number of people who will not articulate it necessarily, but what they're longing for is slavery to return. Um, They're the people who, um, they're appalled by black people saying that our lives matter. They're appalled. I just recently jumped into a a battle um, with this environmentalist named Derek Jensen. I guess he's not an environmentalist. I don't know what he is, but he just had a very transphobic moment on Mm -hmm. the internet. And I dove in there like, hey, you're a smart person. Why are you being such a transphobic asshole? And Mm -hmm. basically just all these people came back with such 
vitriol and hatred immediately towards me. And I was like, mm. wow. Um, and you know, it's really people who are like, I don't see your humanity. I don't recognize it. And I'm like, if you have that capacity to invisibilize my humanity for any reason that was, that I was, that's like just something I was born into that has nothing to do yeah. with, um, even analysis, right? It's just like, this is what's happening. Um, then that, that's a slavery oriented mentality. Mm. Right. And so then you have the other mentality, which is a liberation mentality. And, I think that's, I, I think that that's, that fight is still happening. So I think kindred appeals to people because they're like, oh, like, like the idea of being snapped back in time, you know, for her, it happens in this literal way. For us right now, we're experiencing it as this is our political condition mm. on a daily basis. The safety, um, the safety of like our short time away from slavery after it being the majority of the time that we've spent in this country has been in slavery. Mm-hmm. And during that short time, there has still been the prison system that upholds slavery. I mean, like, it's like slavery is just not far away from us. And so our, we should be obsessed with it. Whenever people are like, we don't need another slave drama. I'm like, really? Do you mm. think we're done with that? Yeah. <laughs> have yeah. you healed? Cause I have not the mm. intergenerational, intergenerational trauma, the feeling of like, I can be enslaved at any time. I walk with that all the time. I think all black people have mm-hmm. that, you know, unless they're like completely snoring. Um, so yeah, it feels very relevant and it feels very relevant to me. I always tell people like read that and then go, like if I was like making the pathway through Octavia's work, mm-hmm. um, I'm like, you can go ahead and read the parables, but it's almost like the parables in some ways are like the pop culture thing. It's yeah. like, that's right now. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're walking the path through her work, I'm like, go through Kindred, then go to Wild Seed and just begin the Pattern Master series and then go to Lilith's Brood. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's the journey. And then Fledgling, you know, just like, hey, on your way. Um, mm-hmm. And Bloodchild, I keep Bloodchild. It's just like, just keep that in the bathroom and read a story like, mm-hmm. you know, every time you take a bath or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or a long poop. Um, <laughs> so I like that you made eye contact with I, me for the poop part. I was like, what is that? I was like, well, because we're in your house. And so I just want to honor that, like, poop probably happens in your house. Okay. Um, I, I, I love this part out. I'm like, poop. No, we'll um, keep it in. It's time to um, poop. Do you guys know my poop except song? Except don't keep it in poop. I don't know your poop song. We have a poop song. You want to sing it with me? Yeah, the poop it. song? Let's do it. This is the babies. I came up with this for my nibblings, which is the Tanusia Jagannath taught me the gender neutral way to speak yes. about the children of your yeah. nibblings. Yeah. I mean, nibblings. your nibblings are the gender neutral way to talk about the children of your siblings. Oh, that's cute. Isn't it the best? Yeah. And that's all you want to do is just eat their whole face. Yeah. Anyway, so it goes like this. <laughs> so repeat back to me. Okay. So it's time to poop. It's time to poop. It's time to poop. It's time to poop. It's time to poop, 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 poop. Put it out your butt and poop. Isn't that such a great song? That's going to be our new intro for the lit review. So one great thing to know about the song, if you're actually using it to train kids in potty use, is like that they say it. You know, when they're like, it's time to poop. And you go, it's time to poop. Like, you're actually oh, running to the toilet. You know, you're like, it's time to poop, 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 poop. poop. <laughs> you hear that, Martine? Yes. <laughs> All right. So I think Octavia would really appreciate that poop was a part of this That's conversation. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So I love being a Virgo, but I also yeah. ha- hate it at the same time because I got to be the person that's like, we're at time. Yeah, that's um, great. I mean, I'm I can't gonna, believe it. We made it. I'm going to I'm gonna throw a curveball that Paige doesn't know about. Um, <laughs> sorry. We made it um, I'm going to give you... A, <laughs> I'm going to give you a pop quiz. Um, oh, what's on it? It's actually, actually, it's not a pop quiz. I was like, I'm the worst it's not a pop quiz. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a mind, a mental thing. So it's like, what's the first... <laughs> what's like, the... What, <laughs> what's, so what's the first okay. word that comes oh. to your mind when you hear this word? Okay. Ready? Oh. <laughs> Are you ready? Take a deep breath. Okay. <laughs> yes. Poop. Poop. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going to
to just be poop. <laughs> Diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, self-care. My bathtub. Failure. Learning. Accountability. Love. Justice. Everyone. Abolition. Immediately. Liberation in our lifetime. Um, That's an answer. Uh, no, 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 no. Hold on. There's something about like, I mean, it really is this thing around attention reparations and attention liberation. Something I've been thinking about a lot is that like liberation, first we have to liberate our attention from the system that's trying to constantly distract us from our humanity and our miraculousness. Mm. I'll allow that answer. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Before we end, I wanted okay. to open it up to the audience if anybody oh, had yeah. a question um, that we could like just like briefly um, ask. Does, that, does anybody have a question? Don't be shy. Yes? Okay. You better come to the microphone. Sound system. Hi. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm Tell good. people who you are. Oh, I'm Tesh Silver Great. Um, from uh, For the People Artist Collective. Yes. With Monica, yes, um, the lovely host here. Um, so I had a question about you. Talk, you spoke a lot about um, the hyper empathy yeah. that uh, Octavia talked about, and yeah. when I was reading it, I resonated with it yeah. quite a lot because I am, I consider hyper myself pretty hyper empathic. Yes, and um, when the beginning of this year started, yeah. It was very overwhelming. Yes. And I had to incorporate a lot of practices um, that had to do with a lot of self-care. Yes. But recently, I've um, come to terms with practicing radical compassion and radical Mm. empathy. Yeah. And I think it's something that's obviously lacking quite a lot when you go into any... Facebook comment about basically anything that's yeah. happening right now. I don't believe in Facebook anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like not as a place to have a meaningful Right. No, absolutely no. not. But yeah. you see it because yeah. people are just yes. horrible. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if you could speak to yeah. um, some of the things that people could do to practice radical compassion, radical empathy. I love that. For me, it's, you know getting a green candle, writing compassion on it and lighting it yeah, and then meditating in front of it and just like sending energy out instead of just for myself because it's a way to transmute my anger or like my upset to radical love. That's good. And just to be, you know, the opposite of the thing that is is coming to me. So I'm wondering if you have something that you Mm -hmm. do in particular or something that you could lend to (laughs) the audience in that same way. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is, the main thing for me has been imagining people as children. Um, Like, and it's kind of like the more ridiculous they're being, the younger I make them in my heart. Um, So I'm just like... um, you know, when people are being hateful and, and spewing this stuff out, I'm just sort of like, you know, this person at one point was like a one-month-old baby and this person needed their diaper changed and someone cared about them enough to do that. And something happened. Something has happened to this person that has disconnected them from what I have access to still, right? Um, and so, you know, 
I always say that I'm like, I feel like one of the most privileged people that I've ever met because I have so much unconditional love that comes to me from my parents. And I've got two sisters who are my road dogs and we are like in touch every single day. And like, if nothing else, if I made no other connections, I would have this amazing love that's just solid and has always been there. And I know that that's a privilege because when I meet people who are causing that kind of harm, usually when we have a conversation, if we can get up under it, the thing that happened was somewhere along the line, they felt unloved, unlovable. And that ties into like, I won't have the right to survive. And that's what drives you into the arms of, um, you know, hatred, like deep, deep hatred of any other living being. Cause I don't think you can feel it if you haven't felt like my survival depends on some scarcity based model where you can't also coexist. Mm. I have to say, um, that's one practice. I also do a lot of candle lighting practices and I also recognize my limitations. If there's some people who I cannot actually extend genuine compassion to, um, then I do sort of the meta prayer, you know, I'm like, I just, may you be well, <laughs> but I'm like, I can't actually, you know, I can't even see you as a baby. Like I would want to, um, hand you to someone else, you know? Um, th- that's one thing I also want to really recommend to people. And I wouldn't recommend the show most times, but American horror story cult, except you shouldn't watch it. Um, (laughs) I was like, anyone who's ever had a gerbil or a hamster should not watch it. But anyone else, anyone else should totally watch. I think it's got a really coherent analysis for what's happening right now. Um, It really speaks to the fact that like when people feel that isolated, that they are available to become causers of harm. And I don't think that that gets politicized. I don't think that's on the left or the right. I think that there are people in our movement right now who have been, hurt, traumatized, isolated, whatever has happened so much that the only move that they know how to make is harm. It's still a call for love, but it's coming through in the form of causing harm. And I'm like, if we don't figure out what to do, I think it's going to be a mess. I think radical compassion is a part of it. I think generative boundaries are a part of it. But yeah, I love this. I love this question. (laughs) I love this problem. Yeah. All right. We have time for one more question. If someone has it. Only if someone has it. All right. We got Benji. Come here. Hi, Benji. <laughs> thank you all so, so much. I feel like I've already learned so much oh, um, tonight. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I um, was really moved by uh, the idea you're talking about of some of the most important ideas um, may come from slash will come from people who are not organizers yes. or people who are not a part of sort of the inculcated conversations mm-hmm. Um, that so many of us are having right now. Yes. And I thought that was really powerful. I think uh, so much of the conversation that we've had tonight, that you all have had tonight, has me thinking about the white people in my life. Okay. Um, especially as a half-white person. White people. And I I do not want to censor white people in this conversation. Yes, no, they're here they are. I'm also a half-white person, so... Um, I but, think of myself as an all-black person with a white mom. <laughs> you know, just because how society treats me and stuff. But. I think my question is yeah. that that idea of uh, humility yes. and of letting people in yeah. and of creating space for everyone, yeah. um, what does that mean when we're potentially when letting in people? people who are harmful yeah. or who... Uh, you know, you don't want to be saying, oh, you don't have the same analysis as me, so you can't come in. But what if your lack of analysis is toxic yes. or is dangerous? That's great. Um, you know. That's great. How how does that work? And That's great. I wonder what you would say to that. I wonder what Octavia would say to that. Ooh, I mean, um, 
Octavia has two answers. One of them is what I think happens in Acorn, where she's like, I'm going to ask you to leave the community and find a place where you need to be. I think the second answer is actually in the Lilith Brood series, which maybe someday we can come back and talk about. But Lilith Brood, um, I'm trying to tell a little bit of it. No, I mean, not in Lilith Brood, sorry, in the Pattern Master. So in Wild Seed, we meet this like healer, and she meets this character named Doro. So it's Anyanwu and Doro. And Doro is a body snatcher, basically. Like, he moves from body to body to live. And she's a healer. She can heal anything, and she's a shapeshifter. And they create all these children, and there's all these people that they find. And the way that they ultimately overtake the toxic character of Doro, who's a body snatcher, is that they all have to collectively come together and telepathically connect and create a network and a connection that is so powerful that he cannot withstand it. Like they try to, they bring him into it and he can't handle being a part of it. Like it overwhelms his system and his individuality, Mm -hmm. right? And um, so that's one of the things that I think, I always think is I'm just like, when we're dealing with something that seems so toxic, it can't be withstood. It means that we need to become more compelling in the way that we're actually making connections. So that, you know, I always think of that. It's like when I was working at Ruckus, I was like, I want to be, I want our work to be so compelling and our vision to be so compelling that when someone shows up to infiltrate, they just get like, bought in like they just cannot resist it (laughs) we're just like they're just like damn this is actually like real love and this shit is like actually about something and I feel like it's really amazing right like I'm like I would much rather that and I think that's more like within our power than actually having a security culture that keeps every risk away like I'm like we just don't have the kind of money and resources to do it on that level (laughs) you know I think there's also just the security of um, Makani uh, Thimba who's one of my teachers and and co-comrades in this work talks about like we are each other's security um but I think about that when it comes to like these toxic relationships where it's like being able to name that a toxic thing has happened but also being able to do some examination one of the things that I've gotten really disappointed in this you know recently the past couple years is I feel like anyone can sort of toss something out and be like this person's toxic and then all of a sudden it's like we just group think our way out of relationships, out of our own critical analysis, out of asking any questions, out of being like, wait, I know this person, like, let me talk to them. Um, so really being a relationship matters. Um, how I answer that question though, I'm a huge fan of boundaries. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of boundaries. Like I feel like I spent my twenties not having these boundaries and that there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but I let so much toxicity come through my system. I, I stayed in work situations that felt really toxic to me. I stayed in work situations that just weren't right. Even if like toxic seems like the extreme, but also there's stuff that's like, this just doesn't fit. And so I'm festering because I'm not actually uh, serving my higher purpose. Uh, but I'm a huge fan of just saying no, where I'm like, if I actually don't have capacity to be with your toxic situation and I don't have capacity to stay with you in your healing process, I want to be really honest and clear about that. With white folks, I think about this all the time, that it's like my calling right now is not to help white folks figure out how they do white better, right? Um, thank God Catalyst Project exists. Thank God for Surge. Thank God for other spaces. Thank God for people of color who are like, this is my work. I do want to be in you know, this particular work with white folks and help them unlearn racism. But for me right now, I'm like, that's not actually what I feel called to do. I support it. I want to see it happen. And my focus is on black liberation becoming the most compelling force on the planet. So 
setting those boundaries has really helped me feel like, I mean, I feel like my work is growing exponentially because I'm moving towards the work I'm meant to do. And I think that that happens. That's actually the truth of what happens. If your work is stagnating and keeps getting stuck, you're not on the right path. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think t- if you're like, I keep coming across toxic people or our organization keeps getting caught up in toxic dynamics, it's like you're off path. Right. Like there's something off path that's drawing that toxicity in and making like lots of room for it. Um, The thing that I want to name into this also is I'm a huge fan of the work that Erica Woodland has been doing, which is pulling together healers and therapists specifically for black people and people of color. Um, And I think as much as possible, like naming mental illness, mental imbalance, like a lot of things we call like that's toxic or abusive. It's like, actually, there's just a lot of people who need so much more help than they're getting. And because we live in a country with not adequate health care, not adequate education, not adequate support systems, a lot of folks are just walking around with that pain on their face, on their shoulders, you know, waiting for someone to to knock that sword and they're going to pull it out. So I think about that a lot. I'm like, how do we actually create support? create a strong enough support network and say, oh, do you, you actually need a therapist, honey, and be honest about that shit, <laughs> right? It's like, I can't help you just like sitting here talking to you and I can't help you because I'm your boss. You need therapy mm-hmm. or you need somatic body work or you need, you know, you just need to go see a healer to, you know, Arishi Alter or whatever, <laughs> you know, you need some help. But that don't, that's why I wanted us to start with the Bruja song, like Don't You Fuck With My Energy because I think as a movement, we have a collective energy and we are responsible for cultivating that energy to be compelling and liberation oriented and solution oriented and I think um, I keep quoting Harriet lately or not quoting Harriet but like thinking about Harriet with her like shotgun just being like we're going this way are you coming with us or not (laughs) you know because we're not gonna go back that you know the next time I go back I'm gonna be getting more people free I'm not just you know you're not you're not gonna turn around I'm not gonna let you be a slave right I'm gonna get you to freedom that's my job and I'm like that's our job as a movement that's all we have to do it's just really focused on like getting our people to freedom. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. That was all the things. That was I'm amazing. too excited. I can't do this. <laughs> you got this. You got this. I got this. Okay. Well, okay. For real though, thank you very, very much. Um, this is a beautiful episode. Mm. I want to go back and reread these right now. Um, good. And yeah. I'm going to go read them. Oh, yeah, good. Right? I'm going to do it. I'm ah, jealous. I'm, I'm like, so we should do it all together. Oh, so I'm like geeked out for yeah. you. A toast to you, really. For real. Um, so yeah, before we get to all this wine that we have left, if you wouldn't mind closing us out, traditional style, a favorite passage um, from the series. And again, really though, thank you so thank much you so for much. all that you do, all that you've written, all that you think, and all that you put out there in the world. I appreciate mm. it. Thank you. Um, all right. This is a passage. Prodigy is, at its essence, adaptability and persistent positive obsession. Without persistence, what remains is an enthusiasm of the moment. Without adaptability, what remains may be channeled into destructive fanaticism. Without positive obsession, there is nothing at all. another episode of the lit review a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement we are your co-hosts monica trinidad and Paige may two chicago-based organizers special shout out to the lit review's very own sponsor the arcus center for social justice leadership out of kalamazoo college keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next monday same time same place want to hear about a specific book email us at the lit review chicago at gmail.com or find us on facebook 
And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at LitReviewShy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.